First Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18 through 23. Let no one deceive himself. If, any, if anyone among you thinks he is wise in, his, in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness, and again, the Lord knows the wa- the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Paulos or Cephas, or the world of life or death, or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Amen. Thank you, Lucky. We're going to be studying this passage during the sermon, and I'd love it if you'd pray with me one more time. Um, I hope it seems like we pray a lot during our services. That should be a major part of what we do together, but I really believe that we need the Lord's supernatural help to understand his word, not just understand it, but to receive it in such a way that it transforms us. I think anybody can probably hear and understand uh, any talk, any speech or message, but to receive God's word in a transformative way is a supernatural, spiritual thing. So that's why I always like for us to pray before the sermon, and I invite you now to pray with me. Lord, based on just this passage I ask on behalf of your whole church here that you would illuminate for us your word and that we would approach it and walk away from it, uh, not just in natural wisdom, but in spiritual wisdom. And that we would transfer more of our weight from the natural world to the spiritual world and uh, that we would be truly wise. Lord, help us to not just learn, but be transformed right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Set my pen down. I kind of like these lower attendance Sundays in a way because it just feels a little bit more like a family gathering. Um, I use podiums and speak formally in my family gatherings too. When it's just me and Meredith and the kids, when I'm about to pray before dinner, I get my podium out and we pray together. Um. To get us into the mindset to understand this passage, I want to tell you briefly about a mission trip I took when I was in high school. It was either after my junior year or my senior year of high school. Um, Several of us teenagers went with our church and all the adults that went to Mexico for a mission trip. Anybody here ever been on a mission trip like that? Mexico or some other place? A couple of people? Okay. Um, So we went to Mexico And anybody know what language that they primarily speak in Mexico? Spanish. Does anybody know what language I primarily speak? English. English. Um, Yeah, not Spanish, exactly. But I had taken several years of high school Spanish. Okay, I and the other teenagers in our group had taken at least three years of high school Spanish. And so the adults on our trip who I guess had never studied Spanish assumed that that meant that we could speak fluently in conversational Spanish with native Spanish-speaking people in Mexico. So we would be out on the work site, and folks would come up, kind of like this lady, this is a picture of, of a Mexican lady, would come up and just be asked, who knows what they were saying. I assume they were asking questions about what was, we were doing. 
And our older people on the trip would come and get one of us teenagers as if we were going to be interpreters. And they would bring us over and we would fail miserably. And it was hilarious to see these, these older, these are country folks from you know, Monroe, North Carolina, trying to communicate with Spanish-speaking people. And so when the adults would see us failing miserably in our attempts to communicate, they would begin to try to communicate. They didn't know any Spanish, but they felt like if they added a Spanish accent to their English words, <laughs> that it would work. And obviously it did not work because English and Spanish are two completely different languages, okay? English does not grow into Spanish, and if you can just twist your words to sound more Spanish, those English words will become Spanish. They're two totally different languages. So even trying to use a Spanish accent did not help. Now, I bring that story up because today we're not talking about two different languages, but we're talking about two different kinds of wisdom. And just like English and Spanish are completely different, Natural wisdom and spiritual wisdom are completely different. Natural wisdom and spiritual wisdom are completely different. Or you can call them different things. Worldly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. Human wisdom and divine wisdom. These things are completely separate entities. They're totally different. Now, when I talk about wisdom, um, that's a word that we all hear, but I don't know that we all share the same definition when 1 Corinthians is talking about wisdom, it is referring to a person's approach to life. A person's approach to life, life's challenges, decisions. That's what it means when it's referring to wisdom. And it's referring to um, our way of understanding uh, what it means to live well. That's what it means by wisdom. So, the natural understanding of how to live life, how to deal with life's challenges, how to make decisions, what a well-lived life looks like, is a different thing from a spiritual, God-informed wisdom of how to live life, how to deal with challenges, how to make decisions, what it looks like to live life well. Two different entities. And in 1 Corinthians, we've been learning a lot about these two different kinds of wisdom because this church— had a big problem related to this wisdom. The people in the church in Corinth were trying to use human, natural, worldly wisdom to approach spiritual issues. And in trying to use human, natural, worldly wisdom to approach spiritual issues, it was causing all kinds of trouble in the church, all kinds of dysfunction and division in the church. So Paul's been writing, has been trying to remind them of what spiritual wisdom looks like and trying to get them to just leave this and come and think like a Christian again. Now, we do this all the time as well. We try to import worldly, natural ways of thinking and viewing life into the spiritual realm, and it never, ever works. If you read Christian leadership books, you'll see all the time people trying to use uh, secular business leadership principles and take those over and plop them down into the church world and, and assume that it's going to work, and it doesn't. It's like taking English words and plopping it down into a Spanish context. It just doesn't translate. It's two totally separate things. So this is very applicable to us as we try to be a healthy church together and try to be Christians together. <clears throat> Sorry, my voice is weak today for some reason. 
Uh, I want to just quickly review some of the things we've learned about these two separate types of wisdom before we tackle this passage together. We've learned that human wisdom relies on words of eloquence, relies on lofty speech. Human wisdom relies on what the text called signs or spectacle and argument and logical cleverness. Human wisdom relies on these things, and human natural wisdom looks good to the world apart from Christ. When you're operating by the standards of this world in natural wisdom, those who do not know God through Jesus Christ will agree with your methods, and they will look at a church run this way and think, that's good, that's admirable. Spiritual wisdom, on the other hand, relies on the power of the cross of Christ only. Spiritual wisdom does not rely on cleverness or spectacle or oratory excellence. It relies on the simple preached gospel of Jesus Christ, crucified for our sins, risen again, our living Lord. Spiritual wisdom does not look admirable to those who do not know God through Jesus Christ. Spiritual wisdom looks like folly. It looks foolish to people outside of God's grace in Jesus Christ. Human wisdom comes from humans. It is naturally discerned by natural people. Spiritual wisdom comes from God himself. It is spiritually discerned by spiritual people, people who have the Holy Spirit. Human wisdom causes us to boast in humans, to celebrate human achievement, either in ourselves or in other people. Spiritual wisdom causes us to boast in the Lord, to celebrate God and his power and his achievements. So you can see sort of a little portrait of the different types of wisdom. This is just some things that that we can see in 1 Corinthians chapters 1 and 2 and 3 so far. Um, The big idea, though, is we must beware of trying to use human wisdom for spiritual issues. We must beware of trying to use natural wisdom for spiritual issues. You must beware of trying to import the wisdom that helps you be successful at work or in the school or on the ball field into the spiritual realm. Because it doesn't translate. It doesn't matter if you put, if you take human natural wisdom and try to put a spiritual accent on it, it still doesn't translate. We need to exit natural wisdom to enter spiritual wisdom. So that brings us up to speed so we can tackle this passage. And it begins with a warning and a challenge. Do not deceive yourselves. Verse 18, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age or according to this world's standards, let him become a fool that he may become wise. So the problem is, our tendency to take natural ways and wisdom and try to impose them on spiritual issues. The solution in this text, let him become a fool. Become a fool. Now, what in the world does he mean by that? Thinking back to me in Mexico, if I, would, if I was ever going to become able 
to communicate in Spanish. I needed to just abandon my English, step out of my English language and into the Spanish language. And many of you know, if you've ever lived and immersed yourself in another language-speaking culture, that's when you really learn it. When you just step out of your native language and into the new language, then you really grow in it. But you can't grow in it if you stubbornly insist on speaking your language. It's the same with spiritual matters. The solution is not to try to add spiritual wisdom on top of worldly wisdom, but to exit worldly natural wisdom altogether and immerse yourself into spiritual wisdom. Another way to think about this, because I know it's abstract and difficult to to think in these abstract terms is think of it in terms of two buildings. And we got a picture of two buildings here. So think of that building on the left as natural wisdom, the ways celebrated by our, our worldly culture apart from Christ. And think about the building on the right as representing spiritual wisdom, the ways given to us by God through the gospel, through his word, through the Holy Spirit. Okay, it doesn't matter how high you climb in the building of natural wisdom. It doesn't matter how eloquent you get. It doesn't matter how spectacular you can, you can perform. It doesn't matter how logical you can argue. You're not going to climb high enough in the building of natural wisdom to attain spiritual wisdom. Okay, it doesn't lead there. It just leads to a ceiling. If you want to become spiritually wise, you have to descend Become a fool in the sense of descend and just exit that building altogether and go over through Jesus Christ and enter the building of spiritual wisdom. So that's what it means when he says, become a fool that you may become wise. Abandon this. Abandon the celebrated ways and wisdom of the world. Then you can embrace the ways and wisdom of God. So applied to the Corinthians, what Paul means here is forget about words of eloquence and lofty speech. Don't rely on those things. Don't rely on spectacle and logical arguments to advance your cause as Christians and as the church. Instead, rely on the power of the cross of Christ through the simple proclaimed message of the gospel. Jesus died for your sins so you could be forgiven. God wants to reconcile you to himself through Jesus Christ. Just go to him and ask for forgiveness and be saved. Just that simple gospel. Paul's saying, forget about achieving cultural acclaim in a non-Christian society. Forget about that, and instead receive true wisdom through God, through Jesus Christ. Stop boasting in humans. Start boasting in the Lord. Stop relying on human ability. Start relying on the divine power of God and the gospel. Now, all these same applications apply to us as well, Um the power of the cross of Christ is sufficient to grow our church. If the Lord would have us grow, it's going to come only through the power of the cross of Christ and the simply proclaimed message of the gospel. Okay, we do not need to import natural wisdom from the marketing world or the business world or, or entertainment world. All we need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Simple preaching, teaching, discipling, making disciples and evangelism is enough because those are the means by which God issues his supernatural power. I think another application for us is we should not expect 
our non-Christian culture to look at us and applaud and think that we are really great, wise, and strong, and powerful. Our methods and means should look weak and weird and foolish to those who do not understand the power of God through Jesus Christ. Another application for us, and I don't know if this applies to you or not, but we need to be wary of a Christian celebrity culture. We need to be wary of a Christian celebrity culture that takes those who are the best speakers and authors and elevates them as if they are the super-duper Christians. See, that's using natural wisdom to try to understand things in the spiritual realm. Just because somebody might be able to speak more eloquently than someone else does not mean that they're any more spiritually mature or fruitful. Okay, that's, that's natural wisdom, and that has nothing to do with what goes on in the church. Now, the whole rest of this passage just outlines some different motivations for why we should exit the natural wisdom of the world and enter the spiritual wisdom of God through Jesus Christ. And I just want to go through those with you. First reason that we should abandon this wisdom and embrace this wisdom is in the beginning of verse 19. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. Basically, abandon that because it's foolish. It looks wise, but it's not. It's counterfeit. It's fake. In God's eyes, this is folly. And his opinion is the only one that really matters because he's the only one that really knows. So even if it feels too weak and too foolish to abandon the natural wisdom of the world and embrace the wisdom of God, trust God in this. He knows, and he said that this is foolishness. Don't waste your time with this. You know, those Mexican folks must have thought we Americans were so silly. They must have gone home and told their families about us and laughed and laughed and laughed. My, my pastor, Barry Bird, trying to speak English with a Spanish accent and transform it miraculously into Spanish. How silly. And I'm sure that God looks down at us and just laughs and shakes his head in, in awe of the way that we try to use our natural wisdom for spiritual results. It's silliness, it's foolishness. That we try to use lofty speech and spectacular um, displays of performance to achieve supernatural results when he has given us, in the cross of Jesus Christ, a demonstration of power and spirit. So the first reason is, is foolish. The second reason in the second part of verse 19 is God will catch you if you do try to use natural wisdom for spiritual results. Look at the second half of verse 19. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. He catches them. Now, he doesn't elaborate what he means here, but we know from other scriptures that he, he's not only motivated to bless those who humbly trust him in the ways that they go about being Christians and being the church. He's also motivated to squash Christians' attempts to use natural wisdom to be Christians and be the church. Because these things tend to puff us up and make us proud. Now, you know, if, if, I, was, if I was Billy Graham plus Joel Osteen plus Bruce Springsteen up here, and I was just blowing it away every Sunday, the most entertaining messages you've ever heard, and there was smoke and sparks and fire machines and laser light shows, and it was just amazing— 
And people started coming in droves. And if we got all of our church uh, marketing stuff slick and we were sending out mailers that rivaled any marketing company in the world and people just started flooding to us, you know we would be tempted by pride. You know you would be tempted to say, man, I go to Doolin's Grove. You see the static cling on the back of my car? I'm a Doolin's Grover. Yeah, I listen to Pastor Matt Broadway. Who's your pastor? Oh, I've never heard of him. He doesn't have a podcast, top-ranked podcast. He's not, he's not broadcast on TV like my pastor is. You know we would be tempted by pride. Even in subtle ways that we wouldn't even perceive we would be tempted by pride. And God doesn't want that. God wants us to dissolve and disappear into his glory so that if Dulles Grove were to grow, and Lord willing, I hope it does, it would grow in such a way that no person gets glory for it. None of us would look around and say, oh, well, I know why we're growing. It's because Matt, he's a Christian Bruce Springsteen. I don't know why that's the example that comes to my mind. It's going to grow in such a way that nobody's going to nudge each other and say, well, you know why we're growing. It's because of this new program that I thought of. It's going to grow in such a way that magnifies the glory of God through the simple, true, powerful proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ done from the pulpit, done from the teaching lectern in Sunday school, done from the couch in house to house, done from the other side of the, of the table in the coffee shop, uh, done from the other side of the, the teacher's lounge in conversation, done around the dinner table at home, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Not human eloquence, not spectacular speeches, not slick, polished marketing or programs, the gospel. So, abandon this. It's foolish. Abandon this because God will catch you. He doesn't want us doing living this way. Third reason, abandon this kind of wisdom because it's futile. That's what he says there in verse 20. And again, quoting another Old Testament scripture, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. Okay, so all those church leadership uh, church growth books that, that I've read that perhaps you've seen, God knows those methods better than those authors know them. He knows all the best business practices. He knows every page of Forbes magazine. He knows every thought in those writers' minds. He knows all those things. And the reason he doesn't advocate them in Scripture because he knows those are futile when it comes to bringing about spiritual results. Now, you can bring about some kind of results, but you're not going to be bringing about salvation. And you're not going to be making genuine disciples. And you're not going to be bringing about the miracle that is the church, the coalescing of all this diverse bunch of people into one united family. Only he can bring that about through spiritual means, supernatural means. So to represent this, I put this picture up here by an artist named M.C. Escher. Has anyone ever seen this picture before? Okay, if, if you haven't, just look at it for a minute, and you'll notice that each section of the stairs seems to be ascending. But that's impossible. It's an optical illusion. Just look at it for a minute and, and see. Like, if you follow it counterclockwise, it looks like it's all descending, but it can't all be descending. Or if you follow it clockwise, it appears to all be ascending, but it can't all be ascending. It's an illusion. So if you're walking 
clockwise on this stairwell, you'll always be thinking that you're accomplishing something. You'll always be thinking that you're getting some results here. Your elevation is rising. But in reality, it's an illusion. You're not getting anywhere. It's futile. That's what God says it is like to try to use natural wisdom for spiritual results. You'll feel like you're getting somewhere, but you're not. It's futile. Futile. Reason number four. This is where it gets a little bit more positive. You are already rich. In Jesus Christ, you already have it all. Look at verses 21 and 22. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. Now, why does he bring that up? In this conversation, I think his point is that in the body of Christ, as a Christian, as part of the church, this is the one sphere of reality in which you are not enslaved to achievement. This is the one sphere of your life where you are purely and totally a recipient and not an achiever. All of our natural wisdom has to do with how to achieve, how to be more, how to look better. And the reason that wisdom doesn't translate is because here in the spiritual realm, in Jesus Christ, we have received everything. So ultimately, an attempt to bring components of natural wisdom into the spiritual endeavor of being the church together is a failure to realize what all we have been given in Christ. All the leaders that he mentions, Paul, Apollos, Cephas, the whole world, life itself, even death itself, the present, today, the future, tomorrow, it is all yours in Christ, in a sense. Now he clarifies what he means a little bit later in 1 Corinthians 4, verses 6 through the beginning of 8. And I'll read that to you. You can follow along in your Bible. He says, I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against the other. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. No, he's saying saying everything you have, God has given to you. The fact that you had a Paul come and lay the foundation of Jesus Christ, it's not something that you achieved or Paul achieved. It was given to you by God. The fact that you have an Apollos who's just a really dynamic, great teacher of the Scripture, it's not because you did anything great or Apollos did anything great. I gave that to you. Everything you have, you've received. Everything you have, I've given to you, God says. I think you can hear an echo of Romans 8 in this too. Romans 8, beginning at verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, 
how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And then he goes on to just list everything you can think of. Um, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And then he goes on a little later. In all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. In other words, all these things are yours in Christ. They serve you. He keeps going. For I'm sure that neither life nor death, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. In Jesus Christ, we have it all. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing can stand against us. And God, who gave his Son for us, what would he withhold from us? We are just lavished with grace and goodness by God. We have no need to enter the first building again. We have no need to go back to the petty ways of natural wisdom, clamoring to be the better speaker, the better church, arguing over these things. And then finally, the fifth reason, and the closing reason that he gives, to leave natural wisdom for spiritual wisdom, is in verse 23. And you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. And you are Christ, and Christ is God's. You know, one of the blessings that is ours as Christians is captured by the word redemption. We've been redeemed. Uh, basically means we've been restored to our rightful owner. See, we all were born into this world, and this is all we knew and all we had. And in a real way, we were enslaved to the ways of natural wisdom. We were enslaved to the ways of the world. And through Jesus Christ, we've been redeemed and we've been purchased up out of that and restored to our proper owner, God himself. So we're freed from this and we no longer need to live this way. Now we have access to spiritual wisdom through God himself. Now we tend to get this backwards and that's what this little chart is about. We tend to live as though we are owned by the world. And the world's ways and the world's standards are the loudest influences. And God exists to help us succeed in the ways of the world. In this situation, we pray, God, help, help Pastor Matt to be more eloquent. Help us to figure out the right programs to make this stuff happen. Or help us to look better in the ways of the world. Help us to win these culture wars. We use God in order to obey the ways of the world. But in Christ, we've been freed from that so that now God is first and foremost. His ways and wisdom are first and foremost. He owns us. Our, our retirement no longer belongs to the ways of the world. It belongs to the ways of God. Our childhood no longer belongs to the ways of the world. It belongs to the ways of God. Our church, being the church together, does not belong to the ways of the world. It belongs to the ways of God. And now we are masters of this world It all belongs to us. We use this world to glorify and honor God. But we often live as though it's the other way around. To sum all this up, Christian, we have been called up into something supernatural and miraculous here. 
we have been caught up in something way beyond anything that can come about through natural wisdom. Way beyond our ability to fully comprehend. We belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. All things are ours, given to us to enhance God's love and work in us. We are freed from natural wisdom, from its folly and futility. So let us not deceive ourselves by applying natural wisdom to spiritual matters. Let's forsake natural wisdom and embrace spiritual wisdom in how we live as Christians and how we be the church together. From eloquence and spectacle and argument to a demonstration of spirit and power through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The straightforward proclaimed gospel of Jesus Christ. Let the gospel be our native tongue. Let the gospel be the building that we're building in. Let's trust in Christ together, follow Christ together, proclaim Christ together. Let's evangelize and make disciples and build one another up in spiritual wisdom. Let's trust God together and praise God together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word and Lord, I pray that you would please untangle it and make it crystal clear in our minds and in our memories and in our hearts. We do not want to labor together in vain, in futile, foolish exercises. Lord, we want to rest in and rely on and enjoy your goodness and grace toward us through Jesus Christ. So help us to help us to go from here and proclaim that message. Help us to carry it with us out of here into our homes, into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces. And Lord, may you be glorified by everything we do as a church. Please guide us. Please keep us humble. And please teach us how to operate according to your true wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen.